Good evening, church. It's good to see you, good to have you tonight. Um, I am so delighted that we have joined together today and this evening to worship the one true God, the only one who is worthy of all the praises. Thank you for being here too as we endeavor to learn from his word. Always a blessing to have you. We never take it for granted that you took your time to come and worship the Lord with us. We are continuing with the first Samuel. We read through chapter 19, and today we read 20. Ideally, we should have combined them because it just talks about the, for the most part, the loyalty of uh, this friend Jonathan and a few other things that would uh, see unfold in the scripture. Uh, we saw the heart of Saul towards David after victory, after the victory that was given to God through this man, David. He got really pissed off because he knows that this throne will not belong to him the praises or the attention are shifted towards another. And as we will read today, you'll also see that the, the other reason why Saul really wants to kill David is because he says that if David is alive, then there's nothing in for you. In other words, if David is dead, you will take over the throne. You'll be the king, but as long as he's alive, there's, there's nothing for you. There's nothing to look forward to. So we, we got to do everything we got to do to, to secure it. And as we mentioned last week, though Jonathan, you know, he's, he, he's a man of good heart. He loves this guy so much. But in one little aspect, you see, you know, he lacks a bit of discernment to know the heart of his father. Why? Because, you know, how, how can you doubt your own dad, your own father? You know, he, you've lived with him forever. <laughs> he gave you life. At least he brought you in this planet. And you've seen him, maybe his um, faults and other things. And so he's trying as much as he can to um, not to think extremely bad about his father, but his father is turning to be a wicked, wicked man. So here as we continue, we'll see today the blindness of bitterness and anger. The blindness of bitterness and anger. Then, verses 1, 
Then David fled from Nairoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die indeed. My father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? I, I like his confidence that he has towards his father. He says, nothing big nor small will happen to you. You ain't going to die. And that is true. He's not going to die because God is protecting his life. It's not because Saul wants to spare his life. Saul wants to destroy this life. And he's, he's kind of pleading because you remember before David was in drama with Samuel, the reason why he ran away was because Saul wanted to kill him, threw a spear over him. He wanted to kill him, and he went there. He sent his schemed and talented warriors to go and get him. And all these three groups, they did what? They all went and prophesied. They didn't kill him. He went by himself. He was not able. Why? Because God was protecting David. The reason why he's not going to die now is because God's protection is upon him, not because Saul wants to spare him. Jonathan does not know this. So verses for Jonathan say to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Whatever you want, man, <laughs> these are good buddies, these are good friends. Whatever you want, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then says, David honestly asked permission for me, of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he says very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. You see, David knows the kind of man he's dealing with. But the son of this man does not know. Because sometimes we get blinded because we have been so close to our families and friends we think we know all about them. 
Trust me, if you don't have discernment, you cannot know even your own sister, <laughs> your own brother, your own parents, your own children. You're not able to know. Why? Our hearts, as the Bible says, and I will repeat this because I need to hear that, that our hearts are desperately wicked beyond measure. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. Who can know it? Only the Lord who searches the heart of man. He's the only one who knows. And when something is about to happen to his own people, the very person he's laid his end upon, he will protect them. And we see this protection coming. Even when David is speaking, you see that he has some discernment about what Saul would do either way. If it goes this direction, you know that we are good. If he's furious, right on the table, know that it is not well. It is not good. He knows this, but Jonathan does not know. If your father misses me at all, <laughs> oh, if your father misses me, we'll know it. But for sure, he did not. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? You see how David is pleading. First of all, he's hinting to Jonathan that I kind of know the heart of your father. If you see it, the reaction going this direction, know that it's not good. But if I'm, at any point I've done something that is not right, why would you wait for my, your father to kill me? Kill me yourself. Kill me yourself. But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? <laughs> would I not tell you? In other words, he's saying, we are friends. It does not matter what he's going to say. Good or bad, I'm going to let you know. So fear not. Fear not. Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? <clears throat> or what if your father's answer answers you wrongly or roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out in the field. So both of them went out into the field, and Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometimes, tomorrow, or the third day, 
And indeed, there is good towards David. And I do not send you and tell you, and may the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do so, to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemy. When David is pressing this, like, what if your father is angry at me? What if he's planning some mischief? Then he says, maybe you're not getting my heart. Let's go to the field. They went to the field, and they did make a covenant. In the olden days, they would even cut themselves and exchange blood. You cut your hand, I cut my hand, we, we rub it together, and we see, <laughs> that was rough, right? Cutting ourselves so that we don't break an agreement that we are making. <laughs> we, we barely understand what it means by making a covenant today. Why? Because as soon as we say something, we don't do it. <laughs> As soon as it's out of our lips, that is the end of it. We don't do it anymore. I'll, I'll protect you. I'll be by your side. I'll do this. I'll do this. And then, as soon as we are part, you know, we part ways, we don't think about it. We don't remember it. This was a strong bond. For the Jewish people. You do that, you don't come out of it. And if you would go against it, it means you're signing yourself for death. Signing for death. So they made a covenant before the Lord when it's just the two of them. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. <laughs> he went back again to David and said, hey, can you say it again? <laughs> say it again. Because it was painful to see that this relationship would be ended because of the anger and bitterness that is from Saul. 
If that happens, it means, you know, they will leave apart his own town and uh, Jonathan, his own town, separated from each other. They were besties. They were best friends. Very good friends. Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is a new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. I mean, think about it. There's a gig somewhere. There's, there's a party. There's something going down. And your friends are invited. Everyone is invited. And you know for sure that he's, going, he's not going to be there for some reason. And you're saying that, hey, you'll be missed. And even if people don't notice, your seat will be empty. Because David's seat was special. In the king's palace, everyone had their own seats. The, the, the workers and the kings and his sons and daughters. And David's seat was right there. And he said, you'll be missed, friend. Everyone will notice. People will be chatting, looking around, and they see an empty seat. And they will know that David is missing. He say, brother, you'll be missed. If nobody else misses you, I do. You will be missed. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you heed on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at the target. And there I will send a lord saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lord, look, are the arrows on this side of you? Get them and come. Then as the Lord leaves, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat as the other times on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day. For he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. 
He's not saying anything. But whatever is going through his heart, it's not good. It's like maybe he didn't come for this feast because he's just unclean. We are the holy ones. He's not worthy to partake of this offering. (laughs) He's not worthy to sit with us at the table. So he knew that and he's running away. If that was the case. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty and Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? And I want you to see the, the, how anger comes from our hearts and even changes the way we would be affectionate with people and even the way we call them names. He knew that David was a man called by God. And I believe that most of the time he didn't just call him, hey, you son of Jesse. (laughs) He called him by his name, David. David. But because of his anger, He wants to associate this with his family too. (laughs) He's taking it back. I'm pouring my rage. Have you heard people saying that, hey, you, you will suffer, you and your people. (laughs) Every one of you will suffer. He's now bringing Jesse into the mix. Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat with us? Either yesterday or today. And you can pick the tone that is not a very polite tone right now. So Jonathan answered Saul, David honestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go. For our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. And as Jonathan is speaking, this man is becoming too rageful. Anger is boiling. Then Saul's anger was aroused. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> wow. Those are kind words for your own son, right? (laughs) The son of a what? Of a perverse, rebellious woman. It is not the son of my beloved wife. It is the son. Emuchinga kama mama yako. 
People will only say those things when they are in anger and there's bitterness and you're thinking evil of everyone. This is very hard to swallow. It is. Let me read you a verse here in the book of James, chapter 1. Let me read from verses 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness implanted word which is able to save your souls. <laughs> A good piece of advice from James. Do not be quick to always speak when you feel the anger. It's not like you will never feel angry. Because the Bible tells us, he knows. says, be ye angry and do what? And sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath when you're still angry. Sort it out. Think about it. Think about the repercussion. Think about what you want to tell people when you're about to burst in anger. Think about it. I think the one problem is we, we don't want to take time to think about it. Because you know if you think about it, you will not yell at them. <laughs> you will not give them a piece of your mind the way you really wanted. You wanted some rage to come. But because you know if you turn down, it won't come out, you're promising yourself that they have to know. In fact, I'm going there right away. I don't know what's with anger and leso. <laughs> I'm going to tell them. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Imagine if 10 people offend you and you're giving them a piece of your mind by the end of the year, you have none. <laughs> you don't have brain. <laughs> You've given it to people. Your mind is wallowing out there. You son of perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Wow. You know, there's some things that you, you speak them in front of people, you, you, you get more angry. Especially when people who mention your parents in front of you. Walai. <laughs> Did you just call my mom's name? Huh? 
And he's going on and on. The shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established. And this is the core of everything. <laughs> as long as he's alive, you will not be established. In other words, he's saying as long as he's alive, you will not taste the throne. You will not enjoy the goodies of a palace because this man is out to take it. It belongs to him. If you want to do it, take him down. So the more people speak when they're angry, the more clearly you get the reason of their rage, the reason of their anger. You know, sometimes they say, if you want to know something, just give these alcoholic people, just give them a dose. <laughs> They'll spit out things. They'll say things. They'll speak. It's not with everybody. Some of us, when we were drunk, would shut out. <laughs> say no word. As long as he's alive, you will not be established. You will not nor your kingdom. Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. You remember what Jonathan said to David? You shall surely not die. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a small thing, a big thing, you will not die. But what is the father saying? He shall surely kill him. He wants to kill him. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fire's anger, and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. He was grieved. And what we see is, you know, the, the loyalty continues between these two guys. The friendship, no matter what happens, he's he feels so bad that his father would think evil of this man. This man has not offended anyone. As a matter of fact, he did put his life on the line to save the kingdom. What did he do wrong? And so it was in the morning that, that Jonathan went out in the field at the time appointed with David. And a little lad was with him. Then he said to the lad, Now run to find arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. Then the lad when the lad had come to the place where the arrows 
was with Jonathan headshot, Jonathan cried out after the Lord and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan cried out after the Lord, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the Lord did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave, gave his weeping, his weapon, sorry, to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place towards the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times, and kissed one another. And they wept together, but David more so. A lot of affection we see here. A lot of affection that has caused people to think of very many things in their heads. For, for us to really understand this kind of stuff, we, 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 we need to do a little bit of research in terms of you know, how people lived back then with this kind of friendship and covenant that people would make. In fact, the Jewish people this time, they were not afraid. If they were really good friends and buddies, they would hug and kiss, but not on the lips. <laughs> Have you not read what Paul says? To kill brethren with a holy kiss. He doesn't say go around and find the people you like in the church. Give them a smooch every time you see them. <laughs> if, you, if you give that liberty to people, my friend, you will know the intent of the heart of man. In fact, where we position ourselves to sit, when the preacher says, say hi to your neighbor, like, shall we? It is acceptable, shall we? We, we? we normally look for, you know, loopholes. Things that would give us license to fulfill those desires that we have in our hearts. And you've, you've heard it said in this pulpit enough times that every one of us, we have the desires and the opportunities are mingling somewhere around. If you let them meet together, it's trouble. The desires and the opportunities, when they meet, something for sure will happen. The evidence will be seen on a later date. <laughs> Amen? So these people, because of the affection, the love that they had for one another, it is not wicked love. It is a love that a brother would love another brother with. They wept. They wept. Bitterly. David even more so. 
Sometimes we think, you know, it's, it's, it's a weakness to cry, especially as a man. Of course, we don't want to be wimps and cry in front of people every time. <laughs> but when we, it boils to that point, you're weeping, you're crying, doesn't go unnoticed with your friend. Or the question would be, when last did you actually cry and weep on your knees before the Lord? For something that has been a problem. For something that you're not able to conquer. It is a problem. Whether it's with you, your friend, your sister, your brother, your parents, whoever it might be. When last did you weep profusely? Jesus wept. You remember when they laid down the, uh, their lessons and the flowers and things? Jesus wept. And you think about it, it's like this, this, this was the time for him to rejoice. Why? Because he's riding on a donkey and he's entering Jerusalem majestically. No. You know what he said? I would have gathered you. But you didn't let me do so. And he wept. Do not let anger encroach you like this man. And many of us would think that, you know, we, we've not killed. The same James Write and say, if you have harbored envy, bitterness in your heart, <laughs> you're what? You are a murderer. You have killed. Thinking evil of your brother, of your sister. It is as well as having the opportunity to take their heads off. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went in the city. They parted ways. But you see, even when they are being affectionate, if it was a weird affection that the Lord is not in, you'd say, well, you know. But these people, they're really, they're walking in the spirit for them to actually make these kind of decisions, especially David. And the signs that we see, that the Lord is with them. The Lord is with them. If it was a weird affection, they would have been rebuked of it. The Lord would have found a way of telling us that it was not cool. But these were good friends. Do 
Do you still have loyal friends amongst your groups? I was collecting a few things that uh, this man called Spurgeon wrote when he uh, was teaching and preaching about anger. He says that anger is a short madness. The less we do when we go mad, the better for everybody. And the less we go mad, the better for ourselves. Have you had people say like, I'm always short-tempered. <laughs> I blow up very quickly. We give ourselves licenses to do things that we ought not to do. Do nothing when you are out of temper. And then you will have the less to undo. You have the less to undo, even in your anger. When you start bubbling things and you say things that you shouldn't have said, you're wondering how, because the part of undoing is actually the, the, the hard part too. You've already caused damage. How are you going to tell them that you didn't mean it? What if you just took a little bit of more time and think about it? Do you think you would have said harsh words? Probably not. But because we just want to speak out of anger, we go about bubbling things that we shouldn't have. He says that, remember that anger is temporarily insanity. But, oh, beloved, I have no more right as a Christian to suffer bad temper to dwell in me than I have to suffer the devil himself to dwell in there. Why do I want to allow bad temperament to be in me, to harbor it in my heart? I don't want to leave it because I want to use it for something, and for sure what we use it for is not for good. It is just for evil. Do you ask, how can a man master his temper? And in reply, my brethren, I must ask, how can a man go to heaven if he does not? If the grace of God does not change us and help us to bridle the lion that is within us, what has it done for us? If a man says, I cannot help it, then I cannot help telling him that if there be no help, nothing remains for him but despair. Only in salvation from sin is their salvation from wrath. Only in Christ we find forgiveness and this 
attitudes and things that we harbor in our hearts, they start to go. But you have to make a deliberate decision to purpose in your heart to let these things go. You can just sit there and say, well, I have this temperament, I have this anger issue. When the Lord wills, he will take it one day. The Lord willed even before you knew it. Because he knows how this thing will be so destructive to us. Do I say I cannot help having a bad temper? Friend, if you must help it, pray to God to help you overcome it at once. For either you must kill it or it will kill you. You kill it or it will kill you. You cannot carry a bad temper into heaven. It is not allowed in there. So please do whatever you are able to do. And do you know the good news? Is that we have the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, he will empower you not to carry on with your anger issues, with your unforgiveness, because there's no place in heaven for those things. There's no place. Saul's anger is causing even the people who are around him to know the depth of what he carries within. Because I, I think these people are not dumb. They see what Saul is doing and they're wondering, you know, what, what came over? David has been there for a long time. When the evil spirit came upon him, David played music and the evil spirit disappeared. Why do you want to kill him? He's a mighty warrior. When he goes out for battle, they have victory. Why? Because the Lord is with this man. And Saul wants to kill him. Why do you really want these people dead? Why do you harbor anger in your heart? Is it helpful? Does it cause you to be more spiritual? What is the intent of these anger problems? Ecclesiastes 10 verses 4 says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to the rest. 
Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But these people, you realize what it is written in Isaiah also. Isaiah 57, 21. It says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. They shall see no peace. Because their hearts are constantly looking for or devising evil things. Looking for blood. Their hands are craving for blood. Paul in Ephesians 4 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Let all these things, in other words, he's saying this probably are the order of our days, the things that we wear when we go out. We use them as weapon against other people. He says for those who have seen the light, take them out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Put them away. You know why? Because they are a burden. If you don't kill them, they will kill you. And it kills people in various ways. Kills relationships, as we are seeing right here. It kills marriages. You'll find people living in the same room, but they have no desire for one another at all. Intimacy went away many years back. They, they don't even talk about it. Why? Because you, 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 how will you love someone when you have constant bitterness towards them? You're harboring it. You have bitter, you have anger, you have slander, all these things towards these people, especially your spouse. How will you be able to love them? And this is one part that we normally emphasize on people, especially who wants to get married. Have you noticed anger issue with your spouse? Because every one of us, we have it, even when we are polite right here. We all have it. Just the manifestation of it. It's different. Some of us will take time and go somewhere and think about it and think about it and probably come and give you a smaller dose of it. <laughs> Some will not even think about it. Comes and attacks. Comes and attacks. If you have these issues, talk about it with them. Don't assume that marriage will help you take away these things. In fact, as we'll tell you for free, that in marriage, these things that we don't deal with, they grow. If you don't deal with them at the early ages or stages, they will break you. If you deal with them early enough, they will make you to be a better man or woman. 
Don't just assume. And this is free advice. Don't ever assume any little thing that you have seen. Because the more you assume it, the more it grows. And when it grows, you will not like that part. You will not like it. Do not let them grow. Even in Colossians, he says, but now you must put them all away. What are those? Anger, malice, slander, obscene talks from your mouth, all these things. If we would just pay attention to what the Bible says, man, the kind of believer that we would become, this world would be a better place. The things that we are told to put away, most of the Christians in the world, they walk with these things and they do them daily with no chills. No chills. A little bit of kindness goes a long way. We, we just always want to be wrathful. Even the way we speak to people, we are not kind. Have you walked into a restaurant and see how these people harasses the waiters and waitresses. They, they don't know how to ask for salt or a glass of water. He will tell you in a chumvi. Oh, you see them raising their hands. Do we have a manager in this hotel? Are you mad? Can you just be polite? to people. If you were on their shoes, you'd understand they've been walking in that restaurant the whole day. They're tired sometimes. I was a waiter one time. I know how it feels. You're walking the whole day, people calling you names, and they, they don't respect you because you do that job. It's horrible what people think of other people. And they get home they're tired. They're tired. They, 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 if they had a choice, they would not go back to that place of work. But because we've got to pay rent, we've got to eat, we've got to do things, we just pick ourselves up and go. We are not motivated to work. We're not motivated. Put away all these things. And let the peace of Christ, as Paul says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule. That is what I will tell us tonight. When you feel the rage coming, the anger, the resentment, think about Christ. Think about what he did go through, yet he did not revile these people. Piercing him, but he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you, are you able to say that in your heart? When people revile you, they say things against you. They say harsh words towards you. 
Can you say it in your heart? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Do you know how that will bless the heart of the Father? That as much as you are offended, you're not offending them back. It is not a tooth for a tooth. And in 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul says that I desire then that in every place the man should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. Even in worship, when we're angry, when we're all this bitterness, trust me, our worship is not accepted. There's a hindrance. Something is blocking. But when we are lifting up holy hands, don't just lift hands, but what you're thinking about people and the things that are in your heart, they're wicked. Your sacrifice will not be accepted. In fact, the Lord says, you read the gospel and say, if you're bringing an offering and you remember because the Lord will remind you <laughs> you remember that you have a problem with a brother and a sister leave it there go back mend your ways and come back and offer a sacrifice that is well pleasing to God because he does not desire the fat lambs apart from your heart he wants you more than the thing that you think he wants. You think God wants your money? Gold and silver belongs to him. Some of us have never seen gold, pure gold, <laughs> with our eyes. But these things, they belong to God. Lift up holy hands when we worship the Lord. And I will ask us again. When you're lifting up your hands and you know for sure there is things you need to settle. You just let them go. You want them. You want these things to kill you or do you find a way to kill them? You know, if you don't kill them, they'll kill you. Because you cannot carry a bad temper to heaven. Let alone to heaven, even in our gathering. We'll smell it sometimes from a distance. If you have bad attitude towards people, <laughs> people don't want to come near you because the things you speak, they're not edifying. They're not encouraging. People see you cutting corners. <laughs> I want us to be a people that will have sweet fragrance. That when we fellowship with one another, we are edified and we know though we live in the flesh, we are not going to allow the things of the flesh to put us down. We are going to rise up against it because we have the power. And you know where that power is? It's with us. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen? Let us pray together.
Lord, we thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word and the principles that we keep on learning from it. We ask even this night that you'd help us. I know this is a struggle for many people. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. It's a big deal to many people. We wonder how we're going to live without this thing. But we know we can because you are with us. We pray that through your Holy Spirit you'll help us to be discerning, to know these things that are at the door ready to come and destroy us. Lord, help us, Lord. For those of us who are struggling with them, I pray that your Holy Spirit will help them work it out because you're able to do so. So we thank you, God. Thank you for your spirit that speaks to each one of us, even now, to let things go, things that would destroy our lives. So God, help us. We depend on you. We give our lives to you. And if be there anyone amongst us who is not a believer or a backslider, I pray that you will draw them to you through your spirit. And the rest of us, Lord, as we disperse in fellowship, we ask that you'd continue to speak to every one of us the best way you know how. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.